Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. We're going to switch gears to uh, study a little bit of the Torah portion for this week, Parashat Bo, uh, which begins in Exodus chapter 10. Gary chanted for us, uh, uh, beginning uh, in uh, chapter 11, where we encounter the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn uh, in Egypt. But I want to rewind it a little bit and uh, take a look at the ninth plague, uh, which is choshech, or, or darkness. And uh, you can find that uh, in the Torah portion in Exodus chapter 10, beginning with verse 21. We read that, Vayomer Adonai el Moshe, God spoke to Moses, hold out your arm toward the sky that there may be darkness upon the land of Egypt. V'yihi choshech al Eretz Mitzrayim. And it will be a darkness that can be touched, that can be felt. The commentators say they're a substantive darkness. And Moses held out his arm toward the sky. And thick darkness descended over all the land of Egypt for three days. One person could not see his or her brother or sister. And for three days, no one could get up from where he was. But all of the children of Israel enjoyed light in their dwellings. Pharaoh said, called Moses and said, go, worship God. I'll let your children go with you, but you must leave all of your flocks and herds behind. Moses said, You yourself must provide us with sacrifices and burnt offerings to offer up before uh, to the Lord our God. Uh, our livestock too will go with us. Not a hoof will remain behind. Because we must select from it to worship the Lord our God. And we won't know what we'll need to worship God until we get there. But God stiffened Pharaoh's heart and he would not agree to let them go. Pharaoh said to him, go from me and be careful not to see my face again. Because in the day that you see me, you will die. And Moses said, "You, just as you have spoken, I will never again see your face. 
So that is a dramatic scene and it sets up the stage for that 10th uh, and final plague uh, in an already extremely dramatic story. And we have uh, an extraordinary guest here with us this Shabbat to help us talk about this portion and this passage and help us make sense of all of it. Reverend Dr. Lakeisha Cook, who is uh, reform justice, a justice reform organizer for Virginia Interfaith Center for Public Policy, wonderful organization that many of us are involved in, in which I'm uh, honored to serve as a board member along with uh, our Rabbi Emeritus, Rabbi Gary Creditor. Uh, Reverend Dr. Cook, Keisha, good to see you. Good morning. Good to see you too. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Well, thanks for being here with us. It's really an honor to be able to study and, and learn with you a, a little bit this morning. Um, and before we get into uh, the uh, the biblical weeds, as it were, I wonder if you would share with us uh, a little bit about your work at uh, VICPP, um, what you've been working on in this uh, legislative session. Uh, and uh, in particular, this past week has been um, a very important week for uh, the Interface Center for Public Policy and its in its annual uh, work uh, advocacy work at the General Assembly. Could you tell us what's what's been going on? What you've been working on? Absolutely. Um, so I'm new with Virginia Interfaith. I'm just started in September. Um, I came on board to specifically start working on um, criminal justice system reform. Um, and one priority that we have that we're carrying this legislative session is abolishing the death penalty. Um, it is beyond tragic that the death penalty is even still a policy that we have here in the Commonwealth. And so we know it's beyond time to get that particular policy off the books. And so we've been working really hard, um, doing advocacy work, um, organizing um, all kinds of events and programs and prayer vigils, um, attempting to draw attention to this very important issue. Um, we started this week, the week started off with a bang on Monday. It was up, the bill was up in the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, we went into that particular hearing thinking that it would go in our favor. Um, we had done some work talking to the legislators that are on that particular committee. Um, we had people lined up to testify, but when we got in there, Michael, it was amazing how God had worked it. Um, you had at least 10 or 12 people, because it's done virtually, that are there to speak in favor of abolition. And everybody's speaking eloquently. They have all their arguments lined up. And then you had like three people who were speaking opposing abolition. And so we definitely were in the, major in the majority as far as people testifying. And then when the vote happened, um, all I can say is I'm still riding on the high of the fact that we came out in favor 10 to four. Um, there were people who voted in our favor that we didn't know were gonna vote the way that they voted. And so we definitely feel God moving in this work. We definitely feel the momentum. Um, so that vote went in our favor. And so we're gearing up for this coming week um, the bill moves into Senate um, Finance and Appropriations on Tuesday. And so yesterday we saturated the atmosphere with prayer, with prayer vigils all throughout the Commonwealth, praying for abolition, um, praying for those who have lost their lives, um, praying again because we know the death penalty is a descendant of lynching and slavery. So we called attention to that. Um, and we believe that we'll be successful. So it'll go to Senate Finance and Appropriations on Tuesday, a Senate vote on the floor at some point this week, and then the House bill will start being heard also. So we're excited. Yeah, that's so amazing. I mean, uh, you know, who would have 
thought that uh, that, that we would be standing on the precipice of, of uh, that accomplishment uh, in this moment. And it's you know it's it's striking to me as we're looking at this Torah portion uh, that uh, that it is a portion that uh, involves um, a, a lot of uh, death at, at God's hands. You know, the death penalty is present in this portion, but I know at least from Jewish tradition uh, that uh, that the ancient rabbis, you know, we're, we're mindful of the fact that uh, that uh, God has the capacity to um, exact uh, perfect justice, and so maybe in God's hands the death penalty uh, could be appropriate. But in human hands, um, we are fallible, we are flawed, we make mistakes, right? And so the the power of life and death in that way um, should not be in our hands. And so the the rabbinic tradition says that a a court that executes a person once in every 70 years uh, should be considered a, a court with blood on its hands. Um, and so that's the the uh, the value that, uh, that that we as Jews sort of bring to the notion. And then, of course, along with it, like you said, the the um, painful and terrible uh, history of the death penalty in this country uh, um, and its uh, inextricable connection to uh, racial injustice and, and racist violence. Um, so it's it's really long past due um, that uh, that that. Uh, you know, the state stopped uh, killing people, um, and especially uh, stopped killing um, uh, so many innocent people. Um, But I wonder if we could uh, back up a little bit and talk about uh, the section of the uh, portion that I read before, the the plague of darkness. Um, You know, so much of your work, um, and and I'm mindful of the complications of this metaphor, um, but so often we talk about you know, uh, um, dispelling darkness and, and bringing light in the work of social justice. And so I'm just going to stick with that metaphor for a second, right? That, uh, um, that, that so much of your work is about, you know, um, uh, bringing justice to light in Virginia. And yet we have this plague of darkness in uh, the Exodus story. How are you thinking about that narrative and that, um, that passage this year? Well, for me, let me start by saying I, I adore this text. Um, I am a, a person who loves Old Testament texts. I shared that with you, Michael. And so in reading this, um, this particular passage of scripture jumped out to me, um, specifically when it comes to doing justice work. Um, I believe, well, let me, let's start here. So for me, the way in which I read the text, um, the darkness was a result of people who were in power Um, one person in particular who had a hardened heart. um, And because of this hardened heart, um, people were now having to deal with darkness and not being able to see one another. Um, And the darkness was a result of, again, um, just some bad decisions being made from people in power that should have taken care of everyone. And so now that darkness is on the land, um, people are unable to see one another. And so I think that when you're unable to see and blindness and not being able to touch and see the humanity of another person, that is the bridge to injustice. I think a lot of injustice that's happening um, in our country, even all throughout the world is because people cannot see one another clearly. Um, you don't see a person's humanity so that you're, you're able to do things to that person that you should not do. I think that speaks to the death penalty in and of itself, like the fact that people think that it's okay to take the life of another person, you're denying that person's humanity 
and you're denying and not even um, giving that person or seeing the human dignity that that person has. I mean, you have a person who is shackled in chains, led to a chamber, and there are humans that are taking this person's life. That's a problem. Um, so I think that if we could just see each other more clearly um, and see all the humanity of one another, um, that we will be able to treat each other better. And then it opens it, you're, it opens up for justice to be able to take place. So I love this text. Yeah, that, that's so powerful. Thanks for that. It, you know, uh, um, that phrase in there, uh, you know, talking about the plague of darkness, that uh, that a person couldn't see his brother uh, or her, uh, her sister, um, you know, just just kind of jumps out and says like, yes, that's what, that's what darkness is, right? Is, is the inability to, um, to look, uh, you know, to look at the person standing across from you and say, that person is my brother, that person is my sister, right? Uh, there's this great story of a, of a, a rabbi in a class of students that asks, you know, what, what seems to be a simple question, which is, you know, like, uh, when do you know that, um, that, that night has ended and a day has, and day has begun. Uh, and, you know, all the clever students are saying, well, you know, you know it because the, that's when the rooster crows, right? Or, you know, it when you can tell the difference between, you know, a green thread and a blue thread and, you know, all sorts of answers, uh, to, uh, to the question and the, and the, Rabbi says, you know, no, 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 you, you don't get it at all, right? You know when the night has ended and the day has begun, when you can look across uh, the, to the person standing in front of you and say, that person is my brother, that person is my sister. And, and one of the things that what you just shared, you know, um, uh, sparked for me was the way in which this plague in particular, but maybe all of the plagues, you know, are not so much about violence being done to the Egyptians, about, uh, about you know, retribution uh, happening to the Egyptians, but revealing the violence that was already present in this oppressive society, right? So um, revealing the fact, having it exposed that, that the, the reason Egypt was so oppressive was because they couldn't look at the Israelites and see um, their, their brother or their sister. Absolutely. And I think, again, that lends itself um, to the work specifically that Virginia Interfaith attempts to do, um, that we are doing, I'm not going to say attempts, um, you know, with our farm worker justice bills that we're fighting so hard for, um, again, with the death penalty piece, um, even with the economic justice, you know, we, here we are fighting for paid sick days, just saying that people should have um, the ability to stay home if they're sick. You know, the fact that we even have to fight for that as a society is really sad. I mean, if we could just pause long enough to see one another and to recognize that we are all connected together in community and being able to love and take care of our brothers and sisters, even if they don't look the same way as we look, even if they don't believe the same things that we believe, knowing that we're all connected in true community. Mm -hmm. um, that's where you know, that's where the real work is. You know, community is achieved when we're able to see each other and, and see each other as humans and brothers and sisters. I love that. And, you know, one, one of the things that uh, also strikes me about this text is that, you know, it points out, it doesn't always for all the plagues, but it points out that this plague didn't impact the Israelites. And the phrase it uses is that the Israelites had light in their dwellings. And so maybe that's the juxtaposition, right? If the, what the Israelites symbolize is the possibility of a, of a counter Egypt, 
right, of, of building a society that is founded on recognizing the shared humanity of, of all people, um, the equal worth and dignity, infinite dignity of all people, right? Like you have light in your dwellings um, when you uh, live that way, when you see the world that way, you have darkness um, when, when you can't see other people uh, uh, in, in, in the light. The, the other piece of this that I wanna share with you um, is uh, you know, a little bit later in the story of the Exodus, as you know, uh, uh, the, uh, the Egyptians, um, depending on your read of the text, either give their possessions uh, to the Israelites as they leave, or they are despoiled by the Israelites. The Israelites take uh, their possessions, uh, the Egyptians' possessions when they leave. Um, you know, I, I like to think of that uh, idea as, um, as, as reparations by one means or another, right? That they're, they're uh, taking what's rightfully theirs for 400 years of, of service. Um, but rabbinic tradition says that, the, that, the, that that happened during this plague, that, uh, that, that the plague of darkness was what enabled the Israelites to go take what was theirs because had they waited, um, the Egyptians would have, would have, uh, you know, like hidden their possessions and said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't have anything to give you, right? Um, so the, the Israelites use this opportunity um, to, uh, to, to take what's rightfully theirs. And so, and I, and, and, um, I wonder if um, you have a thought about that, about the notion that like sometimes you can't, you know, uh, wait for justice to come to you. You have to seize it for yourself. I absolutely 100% agree with that. Um, and I believe that's why, you know, I'm so passionate about the work that I do and the work that Interfaith does. Um, you know, some things are not gonna just be given to you freely. Like you have to be willing to fight for it. And that takes bravery and it takes courage. Um, but even as I think of that, I wanna go back to what you first said um, before you posed the question about how the Israelites were able to benefit from the light that was still illuminating their space while everyone else was still, um, the Egyptians were dealing with the darkness. I think sometimes um, there are those who get comfortable in the light that they've been blessed to inhabit. And so, you know, it's illuminated for them. You know, other people are struggling, but for them, they're in light. And I think that advocacy work pushes us to bring our light to the places that are dark or to the places where people are still content in darkness. Like I believe that there are some who, you know, they're content in not, you know, justice for them. You know, this is just how things are. And they feel like people should just have to, you know, deal with it. But I think for us, we have to always, we have to be the bringers of the light if I want, you know, if that's one way you want to say it. You, we can't be content with just having what we have while there are so many who don't have it, so. I, I uh, that's so powerful. And, and that's, you know, there, there's a lot of deeply Jewish resonance uh, for that. Uh, the, um, uh, one of the great rabbis of the 20th century um, was sometimes called the, the last Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rebbe Menachem, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson. Um, he said that that's, um, that's 
the task of uh, what it means to be a Jew is to be a, a lamplighter in the dark streets of the world. Um, and I think that that goes to exactly what you're saying, right? Like uh, the, the, the work of advocacy, the work of organizing, um, the work of uh, driving forward uh, justice um, is the work of, of bringing light uh, to dark places, which, and, and sometimes um, people, you know, are resistant uh, to, uh, to, to having the lights turned on. Um, because you know they're they're comfortable in the darkness, um, or they're you know they're, they're used to the darkness, right? And all of a sudden you turn the lights on, and you know they you know they they see that the place is a whole mess, right? And they didn't know it. Um, and so you know light is a great disinfectant, but it can be really uncomfortable for for people too. And I think that's the space we're in as a country that now you know we can no longer, well we should no longer deny. Um, where our country is and where our country has come from. I think that racism is still so persistent. Um, one of the reasons it's still so persistent is because we just refuse to acknowledge what a horrible legacy of racism this country is built upon. Um, how many people have been oppressed and subjugated for years and years and years. And now has be, it is the day of reckoning. You know, when you have things that happen like January 6th at the Capitol, you can't deny, like you can't, like, well, you can deny, but it, it's really hard to. Um, and so we're no, we're, healing cannot take place. And I had said this um, a week or so ago, you know, we can't heal what we will not acknowledge. Um, you know, sometimes um, like when I was smaller and I would get a scrape and, you know, some scrapes would just heal on its own. Like I didn't have my mom do anything, didn't put anything on it, didn't put a Band-Aid on it. Time helped heal it. But there are some wounds that are so deep and so um, serious that it requires a different level of attention, a different level of care, and time is not gonna heal it completely. You have to acknowledge that it's there. And so we have to be willing to open our eyes and see and acknowledge you know, some of these painful wounds that we have as a country and as a society. And once we acknowledge it, then that's when healing can start taking place. Amen. I have, uh, that, that's, that's so important and so powerful, especially as, you know, so much of the national dialogue now has turned to, you know, how do we heal as a country? Um, and the answer is, you know, I, I hope people will uh, uh, heed what you're saying, um, that, uh, that, that, you know, everybody wants healing, um, but you, but you can't heal unless you, you know, really confront the reality of what's, what's wrong, what's broken. Um, so thank you for teaching us that. And thank you for sharing that. Um, and thank you for uh, uh, leading the way uh, on uh, uh, so many issues of justice in our Commonwealth and in our country. We're inspired by your example and are uh, honored to partner with you in that work. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate being able to share in this space with you today. Well, thanks for being here. Uh, and uh, as we say, Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. TBE Richmond Podcast is produced by Abby Miller. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more 
about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.